0: Welcome to the Becoming Witchy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, of Bramble and Brimstone. Join me as we discuss practical witchcraft, share witchy tips, aha moments, tools and resources that have helped us on our way, and as we discuss how magic shows up in our everyday. This podcast is here to encourage and support you on your own witchy way. Welcome to episode 32 of Becoming Witchy. Today's episode will give some recipes of things to make to start your own apothecary cabinet. And there's lots to talk about, so this is going to be a two-part episode. And this topic sort of goes hand-in-hand with the magical cleaning episode from last week where we're talking about making things. But this will just be more geared towards making magical things for your body, a category that I like to call potions. So, in these two episodes, I'm going to share a few of the recipes that I love for creating things like deodorant, natural perfume oils, salves, compresses, hydrosols, vinegars, salt, herb scrubs, and probably a tincture or two that I always love to have on hand. I have loved mixing up ingredients and making potions since I was a kid. My parents would always find me mixing up random things. And of course, that evolved into studying chemistry. And I feel has now really come full circle with mixing up things intentionally to make natural potions to stock my home apothecary. Using plants that I grow and forage and learning their benefits and turning them into something practical that I can use has been another extremely fun and empowering part of my Becoming Witchy journey. Before I get to potion recipes, though, it is March, spring is on the way. So we are going to, of course, talk about that first. Welcome to the seasonal section. It's March, March 1st to be exact, when this episode is released. So barely, but just the same March. And this is very exciting because we see the spring equinox this month, which means that this month is the real kickoff for spring in the Northern Hemisphere. So. That's very exciting. The equinox marks when we have more sunlight and daylight hours than night. It is a turning point in the northern hemisphere, and plants, trees especially, will start to show this response to having more light. Our mini dwarf irises have started blooming in our yard, so that is super encouraging to see, even with all these wild weather swings that we've been having. They are a visible sign that spring is on the way, We also had a surprise flower come up, little mini daffodils, which we planted the bulbs last year and then completely forgot about it. So I love mini daffodils and always wanted some. And I think I must have found some bulbs spontaneously last year and just got them and we planted them because they're coming up in the backyard now. So it's a really nice, fun spring garden surprise. We also have so much bird song happening right now. The birds are definitely coming back, chirping endlessly in the mornings. Bird song is a wonderful, audible sign of spring that I always seem to forget about when it fades away in winter. But once it comes back, it's always so exciting. And I know that I've been banging on about spring <laughs> for forever now, even though it's still sort of winter. And after last week's episode, we got three inches of snow the very next day, but none of the early spring flowers were really bothered by it. It's expected around here that we will have snow and cold nights and cool days scattered in with the warmer temperatures, especially in February. But the big thing, more so than warming temperatures at this time, is the growing light. And I've mentioned before my struggles in the winter darkness, so like the trees that are starting to form little early leaf buds. I'm also feeling myself responding to this increase in daylight very positively. It feels like waking up. It feels energizing when the sun is up before I wake up and still out when I get out of work. It feels like spring. The home apothecary is something that I started fairly early in my Becoming Witchy journey. Like I said, I have always loved making potions, a magical mixture or combination of things that serve a purpose. It's alchemizing nature. One thing I love making is plant-infused oils. And plant-infused oils are really simple to make, and you can use them to make other things like salves and lotions and chapstick. Or just in cooking, if you're using edible plants and herbs, you can use them in the kitchen. It's a good way to extract and preserve the properties of a plant, which I usually start with a glass jar, like a mason jar. You can reuse a glass salsa or pickle container. You don't have to buy anything new. Um, And I use both fresh and dried plants in my oils, but I will say that using fresh plant material, it has a higher water content, so that can make your finished oil have a shorter shelf life and put it at higher risk of going bad so just keep that in mind even if you can dry whatever you're using just for a few days it will help your oil keep better and i'm sorry i have a cat that's jumped up on my recording table so you might hear some cat mischief noises (sighs) but anyways it's it, it can't be avoided so yeah just drying your herbs a little bit will help keep your oil better For the type of oil, I usually like to use an organic sunflower oil. I normally use these oils on my body, and I just like the feel of sunflower oil. It feels less oily and less slippery than a lot of the other oils. I can use sunflower oil on my face even, and it's fine. It just absorbs better into the skin and has a less slippery finish, in my opinion, than a lot of other oils. Almond oil is also nice, but it does carry an almond smell, so if you don't want that It might not be the best oil. Sunflower oil is pretty neutral-smelling. Jojoba oil is another popular one for body oils, not cooking oils, Um, but you can use any liquid oil, really. So if you have one that you know you already really like or one that you just have on hand, you can give it a try in making these infused oils. Next, you'll pick out your plants. I really love calendula calendula oil is one of the first ones I started with. It's a type of marigold and the flowers are really soothing and nourishing for your skin. Another one that's really great is plantain. I think I've talked about plantain before. Plantago. It's usually seen as a weed and it has flat leaves with distinct long veins in them. And there are two varieties, a round leaf variety and a narrow leaf plantain, commonly called ribwort. But both types of leaves are really good for skin ailments, and they make a really great oil that I like to use for soothing bruises and bug bites. And like I said, they're seen as a weed most places, so you can find them all over. They grow really readily. They grow really well in cracks and sidewalks and on trampled, compact soil. And I would say that if you're foraging for them, which is definitely something that you can do, um, just make sure that it's in a place that's not spraying with herbicides. And that's for, you know, anything that you're foraging. Um, especially with plantain, people are always trying to get rid of them. They're seen as a weed, even though they're so useful. And this is just one of the empowering parts of green witchcraft, being able to recognize and utilize all of the plants that are around you. So violet is another plant that comes up in spring. It has little purple flowers. The leaves and flowers are good for your skin too, and those tend to grow in many places. Lavender is always nice for the smell, as is rose and lemon balm. I also just started using St. John's wort flowers since we started growing them in our yard. They're really cute little yellow flowers that are usually blooming around the summer solstice here in southern Ohio, so I've started putting them in my solstice oil. These flowers are also supposed to be mood-boosting, and I feel like they add a little peppy, cheery kick to my oils. And they're said to be more potent when you use them fresh. Clary sage is another good one to use. I love clary sage. I think it's just so soothing and calming, and I grow tons of it. Not on purpose, it just sells seeds around my yard. I usually have to dig out plants in the spring and give them to my friends. Clary sage is a biannual, so it flowers on its second year. These really tall, beautiful, extravagant, light purple flowers. Uh, But it's the leaves that you want to use, so highly recommend that plant. You can also make a really nice tincture and tea from its leaves, and it's supposed to be helpful for menstrual cramps. So I always love clary sage, makes a great oil. But pick Whatever plants you want, you can do small batches of single plant oils, or you can mix a bunch of plants up into one oil, however you want to do it. I would recommend, though, looking for a good book on herbal properties and uses. I will add a few of my favorites to the show notes, but always good to just check what herbs are used for and make sure that they are safe for you to use. So, once you have your oil, jar, and plants picked out, you can start the infusion. And there's lots of ways to infuse your oil. You can leave it to infuse naturally. I like to keep mine in a window to get hit with the sun and warm up. Some people like to keep it in the dark, but I usually leave it for anywhere from 2-6 to weeks. Usually if I'm using fresh herbs, I leave it for a little less time so that there's less risk of mold and then I will strain it into a clean glass jar and keep it somewhere dark. You can also heat the oil on the stove to speed up the infusion process and strain it in the same way into a glass jar and allow it to cool before you put the lid on. The straining is important, though. Your oil will keep better and for longer if you remove all the plant material. So I recommend using a pretty fine mesh strainer. And in terms of how much herb to oil you want to use... Um, it varies. I mean, sometimes I only use a few herbs. It depends on how much I find. But if you want to make a really strong oil, you can fill like half the jar full and then top it off with oil. If you're using fresh herbs, you might need more fresh herbs. If you're using dried herbs, you need fewer dried herbs, just because the dried herbs will be more uh, concentrated than the fresh herbs. Now the oil that you make should have a very light fragrance of whatever plant you chose, so it makes a sort of light, natural perfume. And again, this is a great way to extract the benefits from the plant into a fairly shelf-stable oil that you can use throughout the year, and mix up into lots of different things for your home apothecary. So now that we've covered the oils, we'll move on to natural perfumes. I like to use the herbal oils both on their own as perfume when I use a really fragrant plant or just as a base for adding essential oils too for making little rollerball perfumes. And you can get the little roller bottles on Amazon or on Etsy. I've gotten some on Etsy that come with crystals in them and the little rollerball is actually made out of a crystal which I love, it feels very magical. And the 10 mil bottles are the sort of standard size, but I kind of like the five mil size because it's used up faster, so the scent can be changed out more frequently, and I love to make new ones. So if you've made your herbal oil and you want a stronger scent than that natural infused oil, or if you just want to start from a standard oil that you haven't infused, you can always add essential oils to it. One thing that you want to make sure of is that the essential oils are skin-safe. And a for a 10ml bottle, I add anywhere from 10 to 20 drops total, depending on the strength of the oil. You don't want to put too many drops in because it can irritate your skin if you have sensitive skin. So I would say, if you haven't tried it before, start off with fewer drops, and you can always add more if you want a stronger scent. And a mixed scent will develop over a couple of days, So if you let it sit for a little bit and smell it in a few days after you've made it, then you can always add a few more drops. Uh, If it's too strong in one note, you can add a little bit more of a different note to balance it out. So I'm going to share a few scent combos that I really like, and you can find scent recipes online, or there are books about making your own scents too. I got one from the library once, I'll try to remember what that was and put it in the show notes. Anyways, some scents that I love, I love jasmine and pepper together, jasmine and black pepper, and you have to be a little careful with pepper because it can be irritating to your skin or cause just a little tingling sensation. So I usually don't use more than five to ten drops of the pepper, but it gives the jasmine, or any like really floral scent really, pepper will give it just a little bit of spiciness and earthiness to balance it out. I always mix up a thieves oil too, and thieves you can buy as a premixed oil. Its lore is that it was a mix of antibacterial and antiviral herbs that thieves used so that they could rob the bodies of plague victims without catching it themselves. And I don't think it was super effective, but I love the story and I love how this oil smells. So if you want to make it in a 10 mil roller bottle, this is how I usually make it. It's five drops of clove, three drops of lemon, five drops of cinnamon or cassia, two drops of eucalyptus, and two drops of rosemary. So some people make it with, uh, you know, a different ratio of those uh, different plants, but I really like cinnamon and rosemary, and I want it to be a little more forward in those, so I add a little bit more of those two than maybe some of the other recipes call for. But I just wear that like a perfume. And with its lore, I always think it adds a layer of protection and sort of a veil. So I wear it when I feel like I need armor or a protective circle around me. And you can make each scent magical by tuning into the lore when you choose them to give your perfume that power. I think basil, chamomile, and pepper are really nice together also. I love pepper. Pepper's just it makes things spicy and nice. I love a spicy floral scent, and this one really smells like a juicy summer day, this combination of basil, chamomile, and pepper. Another one I love is rose and vetiver, and I never used to like rose when I was younger, but I don't know, it's growing on me. And it really smells this rose and vetiver combination smells like a wet forest rose. Vetiver has a sort of damp, earthy smell which I really love, it smells like a forest floor. And rose is a really expensive floral oil, though, so you can forage some wild roses and make an infused oil base. That's probably a really good place to start. I haven't tried that before, but I probably will this year. Rose geranium is an oil that smells similar to rose, but is much cheaper, so that can be a good substitute too. So I also love to get some essential oils and perfume oils from the Renaissance Festival every year. I love getting the dragon's blood one, which is a really resiny witchy scent. Another one that I've gotten recently is a fragrance oil. It's called something like, it's something ridiculous. It's like dark, sexy witch or something, (laughs) but it smells really nice and vanilla-y. And I like to mix that with juniper and clary sage to make it a really nice, sweet, woodsy scent. So I don't know. Hopefully those mixes gave you some ideas. Whole Foods and some natural food stores usually have an essential oil section where they have like all of the oils out and you can smell a little sample of the bottle. So that's a good way to smell some of the oils before committing to buying them because they can be expensive. So that can help you figure out different scent combos before you commit to buying all of them. All right, up next is salve, salve bars, and lip balm. A lot of people call salve bars, lotion bars, but I always think of lotion as an emulsion or water-based thing, and these are all oil-based. So the difference between a salve and a salve bar is the hardness or the consistency. And in terms of the contents, it's, just, it's really just more or less beeswax plus uh, some type of butter, like cocoa butter or shea butter. So salves need to be stored in a little jar or container, and salve bars, I like to think of them as a solid form of the herbal oil that you're using. They're really easy to transport and apply. You can make them in silicone molds, or you can make them in a glass baking pan and just cut them out into bars once they're hard. The silicone molds can be fun because you can get those in different shapes and designs, and they release really easily from those molds. Some people make them in muffin tins, and I've tried this before, but I've found that it can be difficult to get them out of the muffin tins, and I usually end up scraping my muffin tins with a knife trying to get the bars out, and I ruin my muffin tins. So just be aware of that if you try it. And lip balm is pretty much the same recipe as a salve bar. It's just stored in a little tin or a little chapstick twisty. I use my salve bars as chapstick too. They're just like, it's everything, right? But all of these things are really easy to make, and they're also very similar, and they're a way that you can gift your herbal oils to someone else really easily or take them with you. And I will use all of these things on bruises, scrapes, cuts, rough garden hands, knees, elbows, and I really think whether you're using the oil straight or in a salve or in the bar, they're really... All very effective. It's more of a preference for how you want to store it and apply it, but they'll all carry the benefits of that herbal oil that you've made in them. So if I'm making a salve, your basic recipe is three parts oil to one part beeswax. So that could be three ounces of an herbal infused oil and one ounce of beeswax. And that would be one ounce melted beeswax. So When you're measuring the beeswax if you're using pellets or if you're shredding it up yourself it would be two tablespoons of solid beeswax and that recipe would make about four ounces of salve so you would want a container that would hold at least four ounces to accommodate that but you can always make whatever quantity you want just using that ratio of three parts oil to one part beeswax and you'll heat these either in a double boiler or you can use a microwave heating at uh, 15 second intervals and stirring until dissolved. And once it's all melted, you can pour it into your jars or containers. And while the mix is hot, you can always add in some extra stuff like essential oils if you wanna give it a stronger scent. Now, basic recipe for your salve bar and your lip balm will be equal parts oil, beeswax, and a butter like shea butter or cocoa butter. Cocoa butter gives a kind of chocolatey scent, whereas shea butter is a little more neutral. So your recipe is, could be 2 ounces herbal oil, 2 ounces beeswax, which would be 4 tablespoons of solid beeswax, 2 ounces of shea butter. And you will heat and mix those just like the salve, and you'll heat those just like the salve, and pour them into your silicone molds or glass pan. Again, adding essential oils while it's hot if you want a stronger scent. And once it's cool, which usually takes a few hours, remove it from the molds or cut them into bars and store them in a loaded container. If it's really, really hot where you are, you might want to store them in the refrigerator just so that they don't get melty or soft. And if you find that the bar or lip balm is too hard, you can always remelt it and add a little more oil. And the next time you make it, add a little less beeswax. Or if you want to make it harder, you can always remelt it and add a little more beeswax or shea butter. Alright, deodorant. I had been trying to switch to a natural deodorant for many years, probably a decade, (laughs) but I always found them to be ineffective or just make me smell even worse than not wearing deodorant. I had tried making my own before, but also found that they never worked with the recipes that I found and tried. During the pandemic, I ran out of deodorant on like day one. So I started making my own again, just reusing my old containers that I washed out. I tried several different recipes and still none of them were working for me. I found most to be too oily and soft and they would leave like oil marks on my shirts. And after a lot of trial and error, I made my own recipe that I swear works. and. I will tell you the secret that I found. A lot of natural deodorants have some type of clay in them, and they say things like, the clay keeps your armpits dry, or it draws out impurities. And you guys, you don't want to be drawing out impurities from your armpits during the day when you're trying not to smell like sweat, because impurities, I think, is just code for bacteria, which is smelly. So in my recipe, I have cut out the clay and things like arrowroot powder, which are another bulking agent. And I find that it works so much better. I will say that the recipe that I make is a little more alkaline than most. And this is because it has more baking soda in it. Because baking soda is pretty much the only bulking agent that... It's not pretty much. Baking soda is the only bulking agent that I put in my deodorant. Everyone knows baking soda helps to remove odors and keeps things dry. The reason it's not used in large quantities in deodorant is because it can be irritating to your skin. But I think that it's balanced out in this recipe by using hydrating other ingredients. So I will say, if you haven't been using natural deodorants, there is a transition period where your skin will start adapting to the new deodorant and start getting used to it. But again, if you have really, really sensitive skin, this recipe might not be for you because the baking soda can be a little irritating. I find it works great for me and it's not irritating at all, but I know that it can be for some people. And I do know that that's why it's not used in, um, large quantities in other, uh, deodorant store-bought deodorants. So the deodorant that I make is fairly hard also because I just don't like the oily wet feeling that some deodorants have. It also gets really hot here in the summer. So I'd like to make a deodorant that's not going to start melting in my cabinet. So, I use a combination of beeswax and either cocoa butter or shea butter, instead of coconut oil, which is usually what's called for in a lot of recipes that you see. And that is just because I find coconut oil to be too melty and sort of slimy feeling. So I don't really like it, but some people do if you like it. You can try a recipe with it and it might work so much better for you. But for me, I leave it out. Occasionally when I'm going into winter and I know it's going to be colder in my house, I'll add a fourth of a teaspoon to a half of a teaspoon of an infused sunflower oil that I've made, usually a calendula or plantain oil. So if you find this bar to be a little hard, you can always remelt it and add a little bit of an infused oil to make it a little bit softer. So my recipe is as follows, and I'll put it on my website Bramblebrimstone.com so that there's a written version if you need it. And this recipe makes two containers of deodorant, which I always make two at a time either one for me, one for Josh, or one for home, one for work when I forget to put deodorant on at home. It's just good to have two. So it's two heaping tablespoons of shredded beeswax, four tablespoons shea butter or cocoa butter, 20 to 40 drops of essential oil of your choice and a half a cup, plus up to two tablespoons of baking soda. And you will heat this in a double boiler, or in a microwave in 15 second intervals. And you'll start by melting the shea butter and the shredded beeswax, stirring fairly regularly to help it melt. Once everything's melted and mixed up, remove it from the heat source, and you'll add your essential oils. Mix up all of those liquids to make sure everything is well blended, And then you'll add your baking soda. And it should be sort of firmish liquid consistency. You should be able to pour it into the deodorant container fairly easily. Before you pour it, though, make sure that the deodorant container is twisted so that it's all the way down. And do it over a paper towel just in case the container has a little leak in it. You can always add a little bit of the mix first to block up any holes because it will cool very quickly, preventing any leaking when you pour in more. If you find that the mix starts to cool too quickly before you can pour it, you can put it back on your heat source or put it in the microwave-safe bowl again and heat it up in increments of 10 seconds at a time, just until it's soft enough to pour. It usually takes a few hours to come to room temperature and harden up once you've poured the full container of deodorant, but then it's ready to go. Alright, like I said, this is a two-part episode because I didn't want it to be too long. So, next time we'll talk about hydrosols and herbal vinegars and salts and tinctures. So, tune in for that one if you're interested in those things. But I hope that the recipes from this episode will be fun and useful for you. Welcome to the episode Draw. We are drawing from a new deck that I just got Cats Rule the Earth Tarot, which I love. It's my like phone case cover. And I've got stickers of it, and it's really fun cat illustrations on tarot. So we're going to be drawing from that, and I'm going to shuffle and draw a card. We got the Eight of Cups Reverse. So, in this card, the cat, the cat is a tuxedo cat. It's standing slightly behind the cups, the eight cups set up, sort of in an unbalanced pattern. There's a moon behind it and two mountains, as well as a river behind it. So, a lot of times, the eight of cups is telling us we need to change course. And I think that both the reversed and upright vibe of this card is fairly similar in that it's telling us to look for a new path, maybe a hidden path. In this card, especially, this symbolism here with these, the cups stacked in the foreground in sort of an unbalanced way, sort of showing you that there is a piece of the puzzle that's missing. And if we look at it numerically, eight is very close to 10, which wraps up the journey of this suit. And so, this puzzle piece, this missing cup that this cat is searching for, maybe that's something that needs to be found in order to complete this cycle, in order to make it to the finish line. So, the eight of cups for this next two weeks. I hope that you find your missing puzzle piece, that you have the courage to go look for it. It can often be difficult to go searching for something, especially if you're not sure what it is or where it is, but sometimes we just know when something's missing or when something is out there for us to find. So on whatever journey lies ahead of you to find your missing puzzle piece, I wish you luck on it. And I hope that the cat in this Eight of Cups can offer you some guidance in that search. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Becoming Witchy podcast. Do you have questions on your Becoming Witchy journey? Or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast? Send us an email at podcast at bramblebrimstone.com. If you're interested in our newsletter, head over to our show notes, where you can find the Bramble and Rimstone Instagram, where you can sign up. We would love for you to join our Coven community. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please rate and review us. It helps others find the podcast, and we so appreciate your support. This podcast is recorded on the stolen homelands of the indigenous Hopewell, Adena, Shawnee, Miami, and Osage people who cared for this land before their forced removal and who continue to live here today. The information provided in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant as a substitute for medical advice.